Hey friends, we're excited to invite you to our third annual Spirit Forward Conference, September 18 through 20 in Douglasville, Georgia. The theme of the conference this year is the Spirit of the Father. Uh, our last conference, we focused in more on personal testimonies, but this year the Lord has given us an indication that he wants to set the captive free in a powerful way. And Cowell Mill Church is the perfect place to do it. Uh, they have a special anointing on their house uh, to see those who have struggled with lifelong addictions become set free by the power of the Spirit. So if you want to learn more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, if you want to see the gifts of the Spirit on display, or if you need a power encounter by the Lord, we want to invite you to join us at this year's conference. Check out all the details at spiritforward.faith. Welcome to the Spirit Forward Podcast, a show dedicated to the teaching, discussion, and demonstration of the work of the Spirit of Jesus. God bless you, and thanks for listening. Hey, Ken, what's going on, man? How are you today? I'm pumped for Spirit Forward Conference. Thank you for the uh, editing that intro. It's going to be fire. No, it was a yeah, it was a great introduction. It's it's uh, it's kind of refreshing to get Jared back on the show. You know, even through an introduction yeah. promo video like that. Yeah, we need to well, have Jared on um, the show more often. Right, and our listeners, you can get more of Jared by coming to Spirit Four Conference uh, here <laughs> right. in two months. But he will be back on the show uh, in many series coming your way shortly. But um, hey, we are not making our listeners wait for Spirit Four Conference to get some more controversial and exciting discussions. Let's talk about demons Woo-hoo. and their names. Oh man, here we go. Yeah, whenever we bring up the topic of demons, it's like you can expect the technical difficulties and whatnot, but mm-hmm. here we are like 40 minutes late trying to get this thing started. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Technical difficulties left and right. But the topic at hand today, and we've talked about demons before, but it's a common question. Like, why are we using names of demons when we cast them out? And when it comes to deliverance ministry, every deliverance ministry you'll ever look into, they're calling out demons by name. And I think it leaves us wondering, is that scriptural? Is there a scriptural foundation for using names of demons? Sometimes the names are functional, like a lying spirit. Sometimes you get these names like Jezebel and you go, wait a minute, where's that in the Bible? So, Ken, what is the scriptural basis, if you would, for calling out demons by their name? Okay. Well, I have a couple answers there, and Mm -hmm. we can take them one at a time, and you can interrupt me and give me yours for each one. So, first, uh, the phrase spirit of, uh, we'll pick one, spirit of infirmity, is used by Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, let's start there, right? Um, You don't have a ton of... uh, references to demons in the Old Testament. There's actually a theory floating around the church that um, because of the slave mentality of the Jews, that what demons were doing uh, during the Exodus phase, they just totally didn't talk about demons because they would have worshipped them if they would have known about them. Mm. Um, you know, they worshipped, they ended up worshipping the serpent on the pole. Sure. Years, after, yeah. years after it was used for good, they started using it for bad regardless of whether that theory is accurate or not. In the New Testament, we see Jesus, and then we see demons everywhere. And um, he uses these phrase, phrases like spirit of infirmity, uh, what is your name, legion, for we are many. Right. Right? He gets a, he gets a, a descriptive name. So it's certainly, if, if you 
believe that demons are still antagonizing, tormenting, oppressing uh, people today, um, then, you know, you want to go back to the scriptures and see how Jesus dealt with them. And it seems like uh, he used names uh, occasionally in the Gospels. So I think that's the first answer is, um, what does the Bible say about naming naming demons? Well, Jesus used some categorical, functional, uh, or descriptive names. Yeah, you know what I find to be very interesting is growing up, you know, preachers would cut jokes like um, when when Lucifer fell out of heaven, he fell into the choir loft or something like that, you know? And these random ideas kind of come out and it's, for whatever reason, it's acceptable in certain circles to perhaps make light of things like that. I also recently um, was, somebody on Sunday spoke something that is, I think, a common misconception. Actually, there's a, co- a couple of common misconceptions. Number one, you know, being that Satan's name is Lucifer. Um, that's a that's a pretty general misconception. I don't necessarily think it'd be wrong to refer to him as such, but um, it's not a name. It's, it's, a, it's a function, just like Legion, just like Destroyer, Satan. These aren't, these aren't um, names, as we understand, like Joshua, like Ken, like even like Gabriel and Michael. Like the, the demons don't have names. They, they do have functions. And so, uh, you know, number one, to clarify, some common misconceptions about the names of demons would be like people weren't around saying his, his name was Lucifer. And then on Sunday I heard someone go, another step into that and say he was like the angel of music and worship in heaven. And, you know, this is coming probably from Ezekiel 28 and there's this description where he's got musical instruments in tablets and pipes in the KJV. (laughs) Yeah. King Mm -hmm. James. Well, for one, you have to, you have to accept, first of all, that Ezekiel 28 is actually a a prophetic reference to the original Satan. And if you do accept that, if you accept that this covering cherub is the same as the original Satan, then you're also making this leap to suggest that just because musical instruments are noted, that somehow he was a worship leader in heaven. Um, so it's interesting to me, some of these misconceptions and like leaps in um, logic or leaps in theory, uh, you know, they make their way into yeah. the mainstream. And yet somehow it's like, well, now, well I, don't you? I have an additional nuance on that, though. Right. Uh-huh. So he's called the anointed cherub. If you're taking the Isaiah and Ezekiel references mm-hmm. to refer to Satan and the cherub cherubim um, do worship. Right. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. The earth is mm-hmm. filled with your glory. Isaiah six or who was and isn't to come. Revelation. What is that? Five. Whatever. Sorry. I, I should have it written down, but they are worshipers. So I think. Saying yeah. he was in charge of worship in heaven might be a stretch because it yeah, seems right. like there were multiple cherubim who, but it seems like their function was um, reflecting glory, um, communicating his glory that they were seeing. So it, it, it's a little, where it goes too far is probably when they're like, he's in charge of worship and now he um, created rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, there's a ton of satanic music, but there's also other forms of art that are satanic. So it's not just music that he has perverted or distorted. Yeah. Well, you know, when you, when you look at those two prophetic passages in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, and you get these descriptions, like he was in the garden, the mountain of God, you know, it talks about his jewels. I don't, you know, it'd be kind of weird to suggest that he's a jeweler and jewelry is satanic. I'm sure somebody has made that case, but my point, (laughs) this long, way too long elaborated point was that 
there are some things that are just commonly accepted about the demonic world, and it's like somehow okay to teach these things, but then we would push back on the idea of teaching about a spirit of infirmity, a spirit of Leviathan, or some other kind of a spirit. And as you already pointed out, some of these are directly noted in the scriptures, such as the spirit of infirmity. Jesus straight up says, this person is infirmed because of a spirit of infirmity, and they were healed when it was cast out. That's pretty plain. Yeah, so my perspective on this, I said first, you know, that Jesus... Jesus calls these things out. My, my perspective on this is that um, when it's a spirit of fear or a spirit of stupor or a spirit of um, infirmity, our, uh, Paul gives us some definition there as being schemes, right? So That's again, good. the KJV word, 2 Corinthians 6.11, I think, or 4.11, uh, is um, we are not ignorant of his devices, um, is the KJV word. The NIV says, not ignorant of his schemes. And then Ephesians um, talks about Ephesians 6, 11, right? Um, it, when you put on the full armor of God, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's the NIV. Or the that you can stand against the wiles. But the Greek word is schemos. Mm-hmm. So I think schemes is the right word there, even though I'm not the guy who should be parsing Greek translations. <laughs> uh, um, so... Anyways, to to keep it simple, I think that the handbook of Satan is listed with these different spirits that are mentioned. So, um, 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control or sound mind, depending on your translation, that the spirit of fear is not a demon named fear, right? But one, um, but a a play in Satan's handbook is, is my thought. And... I think that, um, you know, you hear a lot in the spirit-filled side of the church, spirit-focused side of the church, you hear a lot of the spirit of Jezebel. I never heard anybody talking about spirit of Jezebel in my independent Baptist upbringing. Hmm, yeah. But I don't see a demon named Jezebel as much as um, a Bible character that um, whose life, a lot of detail about their life is given, that the Lord um, has, has shown us what the enemy did through her and her um, belittling and um, robbing authority, um, the king of his authority, robbing the king of his power. So we see that's a strategy that he still uses today. So the spirit of Jezebel is not that there's a demon named Jezebel who's oppressing, um, you know, sister so-and-so in the church, but it's, uh, it's rather the enemy releasing a play, right? A strategy or scheme on a church. Here's my plan for you. Here's the offensive that I'm going to uh, use against your church or against your household or against your marriage. Right. Um, and so I, I understand it that way. I think that's probably the, to me, it's a really biblically sound way of looking at it. You've got multiple references to schemes, devices, and sure. uh, strategies of the enemy. And then it keeps you from like, you know, trying to figure out, cause, cause a lot of the names, you know, those according to deliverance ministers, what we see in raffle rooms, a lot of the names are like from ancient Babylon, Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't, you got you to Google them and you find out mm-hmm. that they're in World of Warcraft or something, but also that these names go all the way back. And so the actual, if they have a proper name, which, you know, some people say they do, some people don't, I don't know if it's very helpful or very necessary compared to the functional name um, of the enemy's strategy that he's using against that person's life. 
Yeah, actually, it's cool you bring up that ancient ancient gods concept because this weekend we had a lady that came into the prayer meeting and um, she was really oppressed and wanting some deliverance. And as we were praying over her, I had asked the prayer team, like, you know, ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit for the functional name of this demon. And one of the ladies came up and said, um, I, I saw this image of a bull underground in a maze. And uh, when, you know, it was weird at first. And I thought that seems fairly familiar. And like you said, I Googled, you know, bull in a maze. And immediately this ancient Greek mythology came right up that, that was called Minotaur. And I thought, this is interesting. Um, but Psalm 22 prophesies that, you know, many bulls surround me. Like, well, all right, here we go. And so we cast off the spirit of Minotaur. I said, I don't know. I've never heard of a spirit of Minotaur before, but I'm casting it out. And so we went with it. And then uh, later on when I was talking, I was texting with Jared and Candace Long and Candace pointed out Baal, you know, a Baal spirit. It's like, oh, right. Of course. Uh, that's literally the image of Baal was like the golden calf. Right. The so it, it is interesting how it's like when you talk about the schemes and the playbook, they have the same play. They've always had the same playbook. It's still the same schemes as it was with ancient Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Paul said we're not ignorant, but I think many people today are uh, ignorant true. and unaware of those schemes. And so, you know, I don't I don't want to spend my life talking about demons. Um, our prayer rooms, we talk about Jesus and he sheds light on demons. But episodes right. like this and and teaching about this is necessary because the church is asleep and um, yep. and in error, uh, in deception or blind to what the enemy is doing. So we have to know at least what the scriptures say. The scriptures talk about the enemy a little bit, and we should talk about the enemy a little bit based on what the scriptures have to say. And so these names are important. Um, yeah, it's, it's you crazy. know what, Ken? I'm going to defend you a little bit on this one too. because, like, It's true. We're not like obsessed with demons. But I'm just going to say, as far as putting podcasts in YouTube, so, you know, it's like we get like six times as many views on a demonic video as we do on a video about prayer. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you, you all want to hear demon videos. Here you go. Yeah. Well, that, that's uh, I, I have my uh, I have my theories on that, too. You know, uh, people <laughs> okay. are uh, people are interested in what they're engaging with. And yeah. so they're not engaged in prayer. They're not praying, but they are <laughs> they are dealing with the demonic. And so uh, and it's our world today and our world's fascinated with this with this witchcraft, white, dark, black magic, whatever it is. And the, the, the Christian church is right behind it. They're, they're trying to figure out why they're dealing with anxiety and discouragement. And, um, and, and they're not hearing about it on Sundays So in many cases. So I think that's, that's why there's a, a curiosity there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I would say to the listeners, if you're dealing with spooky stuff, you know, if you're seeing manifestations, if you're being choked in your sleep or, or assaulted in your dreams, things of that nature, um, my goodness, you know, go to your pastor. If, if he doesn't know how to help you, I, you can call us, that's for sure. But my goodness, when, when those kind of invitations are made in church, you know, and you just say to people, if you're experiencing this, people, I mean, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, that's an exaggeration. Lots of people respond. They're being attacked. And if we're not talking about it in church, where do they know where to go? Yeah, and what's crazy is the enemy beats us up and then we still 
uh, we think that life, that's how life is. And we don't even realize it's the enemy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are living under deep depression and it's all explained through, you know, secular terms and, you know, well, I'm depressed because I live in the age of, of blue screens, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm depressed yeah. because, you know, because of the era we live in in America. But um, there is a strong satanic um, move happening in our nation today. And we've got generations after generations of open doors where these enemies have been allowed to build um, brick by brick in the spirit world, um, very powerful strongholds that um, the Christian church, in many cases, is completely unprepared to deal with. Um, I had someone reach out who listened to our podcast recently, and he said, thank you so much for your podcast. I, I was just talking to a friend who's a chaplain, and he, he, uh, the fire department called him and said, we need your help. Bring your Bible. Woo-hoo. And he said when he got there, he saw things that he had been taught didn't happen anymore. <laughs> that he had no explanation for. And my friend said, if it wasn't for your podcast, I wouldn't have known what to tell him. So, Man. you know, wow. here's a guy who's a chaplain, wants to be a good witness, wants to be a gospel-centered witness to his uh, local fire department, police department. But when they run into an actual legion, uh, somebody who has who is filled with demons, um, he he's as unprepared as any of them. He had his Bible, but he didn't know what to do, and so he's calling his pastor friend with his head hung in despair, saying, "I don't know how to help you." Uh, we had another friend uh, reach out. I went to college with this guy, and uh, he reached out and said, "You know, I really there's so many things that you've changed, but I'm doing ministry in a prison ministry, and I don't know how to help these people." And I have my Bible, and I know my Bible, but what I have isn't helping. And so um, wow. what would you do? How would, how would you help someone who's addicted to drugs? And I'm like, well, you should read the story of Jackie Pollinger, Chasing the Dragon. And here's a couple of podcasts you should listen to. And, you know, like there's um, – there is – the power of God is still on the earth, right? It's what Jesus told the Sadducees who had memorized the Old Testament. He said, you got two problems, guys. You only err in two areas. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. How do you tell people who've memorized the entire Old Testament that they don't know the scriptures? Um, right? It's, it's not the knowledge of the words or the word order, right? It's understanding how those, how those words help you. Um, and we had a guy in our church recently I interviewed for his testimony on the Father's House podcast. And he said um, when he was young, he was struggling with lust and he was given a Bible and just said, just read the Bible and it'll conquer lust. And I told him, it's like being handed a toolbox and saying, if you use this, you can build a house. It's <laughs> technically true, <laughs> right. but you're going to need a little instruction. Like the, the word of God is powerful, right? Um, so is a gun. But it's important to know which way to point the gun and where to put your finger, right? Don't put your finger over the end of the gun when you pull the trigger. That's not good. You, you know, you're going to lose a finger. You know, you, mm. there's, certainly it's powerful. We're not saying the Bible's not powerful. We're saying that if you don't use it right, you know, it's like walking in the house and your wife didn't want to wait on you to hang the, the, the painting on the wall. So she's got a, a screwdriver and a nail and she's using the screwdriver handle to pound in the nail. It makes you wince. Like that's a great tool, but you don't use it that way. Mm. And so a lot of our friends, they know the word and they, they've met in many cases, they've memorized more scripture than I have, but they don't know how to wield the sword. Mm. And, and if you don't believe in demons, you don't know how to wield the sword. If you don't believe the demons still oppress Christians, you don't know how to swing the sword. So the church has got to wake up because demons are, are all over the earth 
and they are causing significant problems, not just in our government, not just in our culture. They're causing problems in our church pews, in our church yes. seats. So I, I think that I would encourage two big things. If you're from a conservative Bible background listening, like most of our audience, I want to encourage two things. Number one, I think you need the voice of the Lord um, in order to battle these things. Like, like in my testimony a few minutes ago, one of the ladies in the church asked the Lord, what's the name of this thing? That, that's very, very common is that these demons don't budge until the Holy Spirit reveals to us how to make it budge, you know, and what is the functional name of this thing and to attack it directly like that. And so you need, you need to understand the voice of the Lord. You need to learn how to wait on the Lord and to hear his thoughts in your thoughts. By the way, the word schemes is translated as thoughts. It is. It's the same exact Greek word. And so when it says, like in 2 Corinthians, I think it is that God will keep your hearts and minds. It's the same word. God will keep your schemes, your thoughts. And uh, so it's, it's amazing. I don't really think anyone would say Satan doesn't have any schemes. We know Satan has schemes, and we know that his schemes are in the earth. Well, you need to admit that God's schemes are in the earth. God's thoughts are in the earth. And uh, you need those thoughts as you battle the enemy. You need that revelation to battle the enemy. But I, I also, rec my second recommendation is experience. The, uh, so to that end, it's like, go get into a ministry where they're casting out demons, see how they roll. Okay. Learn some of those things. It's like when you were called to preach, you needed to be taught, you needed to be discipled and mentored on how to preach. And I think it's the same thing. If you're, if you're going to go swing your sword, if you're going to go, I mean, you need experience. And so I would recommend that. And certainly the Spirit Forward Conference is a really, you know, safe and approachable environment where you could come and, yeah, demons are going to flee uh, during that thing. And so you'll be able to Hallelujah. see some experience in that conference. I remember when I taught at Bible college, I had two older uh, friends who were both uh, teachers there. And I remember them watching this YouTube video of these two old Baptist pastors dealing with a demonized guy. And I remember them being so freaked out in the office by the video. They were like in awe of this guy manifesting. And one of my, he, he was, he taught me in school and, and now I was, um, working with him. Um, I remember him saying, I hate talking about demons. He's like, I don't want to talk about it because you talk about yeah. it and they show up. And I was like, no, they're there. Right. Yeah. We need to talk about because they're there. And if you just let them lie there, uh, and don't deal with it, they, they will silently and quietly uh, bring about such incredible, uh, corruption and infection, you know? So, mm -hmm. Hey, let's cover some names. Yeah, had, that was a good introduction. I had a preacher ask me, do you think all Christians are demonized? And I said, well, um, do you think all Christians have been unforgiving? Do you think all Christians have been rebellious? Because that's where the demons come from, our unforgiveness and our rebellion primarily. So, so do I think all Christians are demonized? I think just as many as have been unforgiving. And of course, that's how most of our prayer rooms go, right? Is leading people through the confession of their rebellion and their bitterness. And um, that's where those strongholds come from. But yeah, the episode is called Names of Demons. So let's talk about a few of them. Tell me about a python spirit. That one comes up a lot. The python spirit. Yeah, this, uh, um, 
girl who's been sold in slavery, she's being used for um, this, you know, demonic version of a prophetic gift. And uh, is it the daughters or sisters of Adelphi? There's this whole Greek group of uh, false prophets, right. false prophets that uh, potentially um, her whatever she was taught maybe came from that. Uh, the oracles. Yeah, of so Adelphi. you're talking about Acts 16. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, she's following Paul around saying, these be servants of the Most High God. So she's saying technically something that's accurate, but she's a massive distraction. And man, anybody who's pastored for uh, any length of time and has tried to preach the gospel has had people who have been distractions. And they say the right thing, but they say it in such a distracting, confusing way. And so Paul is exasperated by her and he turns around, he casts this devil out of her. And apparently she was a fortune teller who brought a lot of profit because once the devil was out of her, she, she was no longer profitable to her masters. And, um, so yeah, this, this Python spirit, you know, I, 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 sometimes take a kind of logical approach. Like what would a Python spirit do in a church? Like what a unique phrase, a lying spirit's pretty self-explanatory, a spirit of infirmity yeah, or true. sickness, pretty explanatory Python spirit. Huh? But, um, it's this twisting, right? Um, yeah. the, and, and by the way, and restricting. That, that, the word Python is it's in the Greek a lot. I remember in the King James, it was divination in English, the spirit yeah. of divination. Okay. Which is false, but which is, is essentially false prophecy, right? I mean, that's that's what a fortune teller is, is a diviner. Sure. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I when you think of a python wrapping around its victim and like suffocating them, mm. rest, it's restricting you. So her shouting restricted Paul from his ministry. Paul's trying to mm. preach the gospel. So she just preaches, she shouts their identity so Paul can't shout Jesus's identity. And so her volume and distraction restricted Paul's ministry until he cast the devil out. And so I think that's the playbook of the enemy, right? Right on. Um, to, uh, to, to choke out any place for us to effectively share the gospel. That's really good. So some obvious ones, like you mentioned, you have a lying spirit, a spirit of infirmity. We have a, a mute and deaf spirit. We've got uh, deceitful spirits in First Timothy. And so some of these are really self-explanatory, and it kind of leads us to that idea that uh, the demons are named primarily for their function. Like, legion is a function. It's not a name. And I think that this is a pattern of the New Testament that is so present that it's inescapable as far as being a doctrine. Yeah. So, okay, here's one that I don't think I ever heard of until I um, started hanging around some spirit-focused people. Uh, the spirit of religion. Mm-hmm. Now, I think if you had to use that phrase with me and said, who has a spirit of religion? And I was still, you know, independent Baptist. I would have said Catholics. They got spirit of religion. Or yeah. I would have said uh, outside of anywhere in Christendom, outside of that into the cult world, right? Um, you know, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, right? There are all these traditions that they're following. Uh, some of them are fasting. Some of them are, um, you know, they're all praying in some some way, Right. So they are religious and, um, and yet they're in error. But uh, for Jesus, he encounters people with the, the, the Bible phrase he uses is the leaven of the Pharisees. So Jesus is the bread of presence. Um, and then the Pharisees had their own bread or, or they corrupted what should have been the, the presence of God. The house of prayer became uh, a den of thieves 
and the leaven of the Pharisees. So multiple times he uses that phrase, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. He ties in the leaven of Herod at one point, greed and corruption. So I think the Bible phrase, right, the phrase spirit of religion is not found in the scriptures, but you have the legalism that Paul deals with in his letter to the Galatians. And then you have that phrase spirit of religion or leaven of the Pharisees that when you put those things together, um, I think you get a, uh, a sound biblical case for this idea of the enemy using religion to ruin relationship. And mm-hmm. it can get taken too far, right? Paul says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. There are people who um, have talked about grace in such a way that they've, they've, they've cheapened it. And um, there's a licentiousness that um, exists in the body of Christ for, uh, where people feel that they can radically sin. And they invite perversion and corruption and demons into their churches by their abuse of grace. So um, their their approach to grace is its own spirit of religion. But then on mm-hmm. the conservative, strict, traditional, heavy, um, you know, traditional side, and that can be in a variety of different denominations, there are people who have their faith in their performance, have their faith in their ability to follow the culture of their church, the teachings of the church, the ordinance of the ordinances of their church, and um, and it takes them off a relationship with Jesus. Look, I think this is very easily defensible from Scripture when you when you say things like "Beware the leaven of the Pharisees," and somebody could say, "Well, that's not directly a demon. Maybe that's more like a teaching." And yet, we can go to First Timothy four and find out that that teaching is specifically called doctrines of de- devils or demons, yeah. right? The yeah. doctrines of of demons, and it has to do with religion. It's like abstaining from meat, abstaining from marriage. It, you know, this ascetic stuff, and it and it is specifically connected to the demons. Now, tell me, where would you find doctrines of demons without demons? So right. I think I think absolutely we could we could say that the demons permeate religion all around the world. Hey, what we've encountered in our uh, prayer rooms that's been surprising is a deaf and dumb spirit, um, which is always funny because we, we'll have spent like an hour and a half with a person in a prayer room, and then one of our intercessors will be like, I bind the, the deaf and dumb spirit in the name of Jesus, and they'll, kinda, they'll always look kind of strange at us like, what? But when we lead people through forgiveness, for example, and we get them to forgive the key person that's been hindering their walk, there's always one or two People, there's, there's a long list of people who need to forgive, especially if you've never been taught forgiveness. But that key person, it's amazing how often they start to choke. They start to stumble over their words. They can't repeat the prayer that we're leading them through. And when we bind that spirit, it's incredible how their speech changes and their facial expressions change too, by the way. That's that's uh, another conversation. But it's, um, it's incredible to see all of a sudden their lips be loosed and then be able to speak. So... Um, for whatever reason, you know, yeah, you know what, this would be a really great point to just add a little sidebar here. There was something I picked up like a year and a half ago from a missionary story. And the, the point is this missionary began praying over the assemblies. He's reaching these pagan people full of wickedness and he would take authority over the assemblies and he'd pray against the uh, spirits that work in the children of disobedience. And, um, so like a year and a half ago, I started making these authoritative prayers in our assemblies. I started with children's ministry and legitimately, dude, adults were saying, how did you get those kids like, like kind of like bus kids, right? They'd be like, how did it was, you know, it is a miracle that that kid sat still. And so we were seeing that 
bear immediate fruit, just taking authority and, and saying, no evil spirits are permitted to speak in this place. The only spirit permitted to speak is the Holy Spirit of God. And I command silence from all wicked and unclean spirits. And just a prayer like that. And now we use the prayer over every single assembly. Every time we assemble, um, we're going to make that prayer, whether it's a prayer room, a prayer meeting, a church assembly, we're going to take authority over the room and we're going to demand. I mean, <laughs> it just happened recently at a baptism service. Somebody was yammering, bah, 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 bah. like the service had started. And this person who um, is actually, what is it called? A spirit guide. He has a, sp a, a spirit guide. And the spirit guide was like yammering. And when I made the prayer and took authority, the guy shut up. I, it was, it's incredible. You know, so that, that's a good starting place right there and, and seeing some immediate fruit in, a, in, a, in the assembly. Yeah. I think there's a good uh, biblical case to be made for um, people inviting demons to attach different parts of their body. And mm -hmm. uh, this isn't original to me, but I've seen people. So you have the, the fiery... Uh, destructive nature of the tongue that James talks about. And I think often the people that we, that wrestle with a, a, a muting spirit, a spirit that keeps them from saying the truth are people who have a history of speaking lies or speaking uh, profane, profanely or perversely. And so they struggle um, because the enemy has been given some influence on their mouth. Um, influence in your ears, right? The deaf, deafening spirit because you've opened your ears up to what the enemy. Influence in your mind, the ability to, um, you know, hear and imagine what the Lord is saying to you can often, often be affected because our imaginations need to be sanctified because they've been used for perversion. So getting the enemy to release from those areas is, um, is important. Those aren't names, but I think that when, when you're looking real practically, you know, um, hands that uh, shed innocent blood, feet that are swift to mischief, the Bible talks about. These, uh, the wording is interesting, specifically talking about body parts, whereas how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel, right? So um, that's just a little, that's a little sidebar for someone who may be thinking, I want, I want some extra depth. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's, it's oftentimes when somebody comes, um, you know, to be healed and, it, and it's like they need prayers for healing, maybe in their ears or something. And um, I, I find that a lot of times the physical infirmity points to the spiritual problem, like, like rebellion. Usually uh, there's a, there's a disobedience. If they've got eye problems, what have you, how have you sinned with your eyes? If you have ear problems, how have you sinned with your ears? And I just, very commonly, it really points towards the spiritual reality. And when we use James 5, which says, confess your sins that you may be healed, that principle is a great big segue, in my opinion, between healing ministry and deliverance ministry. They generally, those are tied together. Yeah. Uh, okay, spirit of heaviness. I think this is a good one. Um, it's it's used in a in a way that you wouldn't necessarily think of it as being demonic in Isaiah sixty one three, um, right? The garment of praise, the spirit of heaviness. But I, I do think the enemy is behind an incredible amount. The vast majority of depression and darkness that we feel in our spirits is related to the enemy, wow. and um, there's just a, a tremendous rise in um, suicidal uh, attempts. And unfortunately, yeah. suicides, um, there's just 
an incredible increase in self-harm. Uh, this spirit, this playbook of the enemy to bring about uh, dark thoughts, discouraging thoughts, uh, he's being incredibly effective. Uh, the attorney, the Surgeon General, Surgeon General in America, just recently came out and said that the one of the, the worst epidemics facing America right now is the epidemic of loneliness. And we're more connected than we've ever been, but we're more right. lonely than we've ever been, right? So the enemy is doing a very effective job of cutting us off from community and from connection. Even though there's a billion chat rooms you could be a part of, and you can connect socially through your Xbox and through your social media uh, apps, one of you know dozens of social media apps that can be found, um, still people are disconnected. And it's a call for the church to um, be the community and fel- of fellowship with each other and with the Holy Spirit that God has called us to be and to become the holy and pure bride of Christ that, uh, that practices community, confession, and, uh, and discipleship. But just knowing that there is this playbook, this plan of the enemy to cause depression, and that that spirit of heaviness needs to be rebuked, right? Jesus rebukes you, and uh, I stand behind his, his power and command you to leave. Um, so I think that's one that, that's uh, very prevalent today. That's good. Man, how many times have you been, you know, gone through a prayer room or a deliverance and uh, the person says, I feel like a million pounds was just lifted off of me. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that spirit of heaviness is just gone. Yeah, the anxiety she, attacks, the pressure on the chest, the choking feeling of just people are, so many people are just waking up, just, they're, they're it's, it's so culturally mm-hmm. normal now to have an anxiety yeah, attack, too. right? Yeah. Everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's the, those are the worst. Like, it's like heartburn after eating spicy food. We're all just, yeah, that's how it goes. You know, you got an anxiety attack? Yeah, that's that's part of our world. And so yeah. demons have just been accepted. And what they yeah, do is just become normative. Too. You know, when you mentioned like food or whatever, and, you know, oh, these bad dreams must have been the pizza I ate. Um, <laughs> but even worse is like when you have a very sexually offensive dream. I mean, even to the point of being attacked in yeah. your sleep, right? Yeah. And... And then immediately you wake up and the, the devil's going to pour shame on you. Like that was your fault, right? You, this is your thought and your thought alone. And you are accountable for your thought and you're guilty. You're shame, 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 shame. And it's like, yeah, there's probably something deeper here that you can be delivered from. I mean, we, we got to ask ourselves, like, did Jesus shed his blood and set you free uh, for you to be just propped up on pills your whole life? Does, you know, do you think you were designed that like you were missing medicine, you know, like, ah, oh, Jesus set me free, but I also need, I don't know what, what it's, it's to cope. Uh, you know, yeah. Jesus didn't come to leave us coping. Yeah. For a lot of people, we've said this before, but it bears repeating a lot of people, their savior's death, everything will get better after they die. Right. And, yeah. and it's like, no, Jesus came to give you life and life more abundant now. Right. That this is you have an inheritance now. Jesus, uh, the father of Jesus demonstrated to us how his love for us by pouring his Holy Spirit in us. So if we don't know the Holy Spirit, then we're not knowing the love that he gave us. It's an unopened present. And we're living in this bondage and and lack where God promises abundance. That's not to mean, you know, that's not prosperity gospel. That's uh, those are promises of Jesus. The abundance isn't referring to the zeros in our bank account but the, um, the freedom we have in Christ. Hallelujah. And look, when you read promises like that God gives his beloved sleep uh, and, and your sleep is being robbed, you know, um, I, I think it, it, it at least 
merits that you seek out uh, some mature deliverance ministry that can help you to navigate the spirit and see what's there. You know, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And we all know that Bible verse. And it's like, well, my brother, if, if you're dealing with a spirit of fear and, you know, quoting Bible verses, memorizing Bible verses and, and you know, pour, pouring yourself into a workaholic ministry, you know, n- none of that is paying off. And it's like, why don't we take a step back and, and make some space for potential deliverance and don't be offended that like you need deliverance because like Ken and I needed deliverance and we've had deliverance and everybody in our ministry has had <laughs> deliverance. And so... Don't, don't be offended at that and don't think that, you know, you're some extra awful Christian for needing deliverance because Jesus came to set the captive free. Uh, spirit of bondage, spirit of slavery. How about the mindset of the uh, children of Israel being uh, brought through the power, powerful right arm of God, brought out of Egypt, but then desiring to go back. And the mindset of, of longing to go back and complaining in the wilderness. And Paul in Romans 8.15 saying that um, we've not been given uh, this spirit of bondage, but um, of adoption, where we, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. And but Paul says this twice in Galatians too. Um, Galatians chapter uh, is it five one or six one where he says, um, "Be not you know stand fast in liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of slavery or the yoke of bondage." Um, there's mm-hmm. a there's a mindset. Uh, I think Galatians three or four he talks about it again. There's a there's this um, tendency for believers to fall back into bondage to put the chains back on, and uh, performance and legalism do that. And so I think the, um, the spirit of slavery is a problem still today in, uh, in, in Christians' lives. Again, so much of what Paul is writing is to Christians, right? Everything he's writing contextually is to believers. And um, you've got Jesus saying that deliverance is for the children, right? The children's bread. And so it seems very biblically clear that somebody can give their freedom away and go back into bondage, go back into slavery, go back into a worldly mindset and, and give themselves over to a taskmaster or a tormentor, as Jesus would call them, and uh, find themselves being led around and controlled by a, an evil force, by a force that is um, contrary to Jesus of Nazareth. Does that mean you're demon-possessed? No, it doesn't possess your soul, or it doesn't possess mm, your spirit, but, right. uh, but it means you are under a strong influence to the point of some of your life being controlled. You can be triggered, and your whole day can be ruined, um, you know, an, an addict to perversion, if he sees something that um, that flips that switch in his in his mind, um, the enemy takes over and can ruin the rest of the day. And it's th- it's that person who says, the good that I would do, that I do not. And that which I would not do, that I end up doing, right? The, the, the trial of trying to be a Christian in the flesh, and eventually you you follow in the works of the flesh, and those works of the flesh hand you over to a spirit of slavery and, uh, and bondage. So when we expose that with the, with the truth of the gospel, like Paul did in his letter in the Galatians to the, to the Galatians, uh, freedom comes. Sonship uh, is a beautiful spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit takes over and that slave mentality, which is a fear of man, which is a snare, um, that is broken. And you can now see with clarity 
what God wants you to do with your life and how he wants you to live a holy and sanctified life for him. So the, I think there's like two demons that are talked about commonly that aren't specifically called spirit of such and such. Yeah. But I think they represent to us a, a model. Uh, so using a model that's found in the scriptures or like a theme that's found in the scriptures to, to say, hey, this, this evil spirit that's at work, this demon that's in my church, it really seems like it's the same model as this thematic theme or person that's in the scriptures. And so one of them would be Jezebel. You've already mentioned, and we recognize that Jezebel was a literal, actual woman of the Old Testament, and she was the uh, antagonist of Elijah. And what we find in her uh, story is that she kind of aimed for authority figures. She went for Ahab, um, the, the king. She went for Elijah, the prophet. And so you, you find that her attack went upward. It was, it was sexual. It was um, authoritative. And, and she was moving herself. It was, it was very controlling, manipulative. And then you come to Revelation, and Christ is saying um, you have a false prophetess that Jezebel. And yeah. you could either take that to mean that was her literal name, or I think we would all recognize what he meant was you have this false prophetess acting like Jezebel of old. And so by that theme, we could then say that there's some kind of a Jezebelian spirit that doesn't mean that the demon is a woman. And it's not always a woman who is afflicted by a Jezebel, but we would say there is a demon acting according to this like theme of Jezebel. And, and as would be the case, usually it's somebody that's attacking the authority of, of the church. It's somebody who's manipulative, controlling, and um, generally <laughs> these are some of the most aggravating kinds of demons right here. Yeah, so um, I would say that there is a um, wounding pattern that takes place in people's lives that manifests this Jezebel spirit. And um, not everyone, but many of those who we've interacted with who end up having a Jezebel spirit from our, from our point of view um, were uh, hurt deeply as children um, by a parent. And um, in Jezebel, the actual Bible character's case, it seems like she was a part of an arranged marriage. And uh, her father uh, sent her off to Ahab, right, to make peace. So she's just this pawn in the home. And it's interesting to see who she becomes, right? She doesn't really know any love. She's out to protect herself. She becomes a leader of idolatry. She's a she's an incredible leader. She rallies this. Um, she has her own company of prophets, and she has saturated the nation with her idolatry and paganism. She uh, diminishes a very strong man in Ahab and makes him look like a weak fool. And um, you can see his strength if you read through the scriptures. And and to a point where even as, as awful as he was, no one did as much to displease the Lord as the king as Ahab, he still has this heart of repentance at one point in his life where God relents from total destruction. Um, so you, there's a lot to learn from her that, that gives us insight. And um, yeah, I, I think you could look at many Old Testament characters and use the phrase spirit of, I think the spirit of Absalom, uh, one who mm -hmm. thinks he can do it better. And again, there's a father wound there. That's really strong. I think the spirit of Ahab, a leader who's, controlled by someone other than the Lord who put him in place. Um, that's certainly effective, right? You have, you have the, uh, 
uh, bibli- you have the godly alternative, right? You have the spirit of Elijah, right? Where's the Lord God of Elijah? The spirit of John the Baptist. I'm sorry, the spirit of Elijah, Malachi, uh, who, who it seems at least partially fulfilled the ministry of John the Baptist. So you have these um, um, impartations, right? Elisha, I want a double portion of what you have, right? There seems to be this, uh, this handbook, um, playbook by the enemy, strategy of the enemy that he uses that you could just call it the Jezebel play. Hey, there's a strong leader. Let's put someone very close to him who can control him and rob him of all of his power and clarity and um, just bring an incredible confusion to his life. So, yeah, I think that yeah. that there's ample biblical evidence from Jesus himself in Revelation 2.20 that you can use an Old Testament character whose life is clearly laid out in the Old Testament as a, as a metaphor for what's happening in a church today. Yeah, and Revelation's full of those metaphors. Another one I, I really believe is Leviathan. Um, and it's weird for me to say Revelation and then also Leviathan, but Leviathan was a figure in the Old Testament, not only in Job 41. I know that like certain um, creation emphasis ministries, you know, they want to bring out Job 41 and use this description of Leviathan and say like Leviathan was this specific dinosaur. Uh, the problem with that is when you read in Psalms uh, chapter 74, you find that it says that God crushed the heads, plural, of Leviathan. And that sounds like a bit of a different creature. And then still in Isaiah 27, so this is our third book, of a poetic book. Uh, Isaiah was a poetic prophet. A third poetic book that mentions Leviathan. This one calls him the swiftly moving serpent. So what we find is a term that refers to more than one specific creature, a term that refers to a deadly creature. And it's oftentimes that these are used, such as in Isaiah these and, and Psalms, that these are used as a picture of um, awful political figures, such as Pharaoh, uh, and these creatures that are um, massively destructive. And so you have, in Job, you have uh, Leviathan, and you have also Behemoth, okay, like a sea creature and a, a land beast. And when you come to Revelation... What do we find? But a dragon from the sea and a beast. And um, so this is this is not out of my own head. I'm not this smart. But we find a continued theme in the dragon and in the beast. And so, and, and of course, we would recognize that that dragon is a figure of Satan, most probably. We find the beast to be a figure of some kind of like antichrist um, beast. And... Um, and so we would recognize that in Revelation, these creatures, just like in the poetic books, these creatures are figures. They're not literal. We're not, you know, we're not going to battle a literal beast who's going to sit on some throne somewhere. It's not a literal seven-headed beast. These are figures. And then so when we use these figures and these themes and we say, man, there is, there is actual demonic force behind this, then it, it certainly gives us space to recognize that, yeah, there could very well be a spirit of Antichrist, a spirit of Leviathan. Yeah, and John um, talks about spirits of Antichrist that are already present in the world. And so we certainly can, you know, bridge gaps here and, and find that, you know, there there is definitely space that these are demonic creatures working in the earth. And therefore, I think we ought to, uh, uh, you know, leave the space to suggest that it very well could be that same some person possessed by that demonic force is, you know, in 
in our proximity, uh, it, it could be that some spear of Leviathan marches into your church. And um, so, me, do you have anything else to say about Leviathan? I was just going to add that Paul talks about that in St. Corinthians, that he battled with the beast at Ephesus. And that's a that's great. unique, unique phrase. Um, but yeah, I think in closing, I just wanted to talk about uh, recognizing these spirits in your life or in the lives of people around you. And uh, I would say that, one, if you have heard this uh, podcast all the way through, I commend you for listening to it, and I'm grateful for you as a listener. But if you feel like the Lord highlighted one of these things as something in your life, um, it's very common when we talk about the demonic for the for the spirit to, to cause fear and say, oh, that must be you. You know, a lot of us, we can become hypochondriacs, spiritually speaking. You hear all these demons, you're like, oh, I think I have that one. Oh, I think I have that one. Yeah. And, right. and, um, that's uh, that's not the purpose of this, um, but if the Lord lays on your heart, He brings to mind over and over again that there is one that you need it to be uh, need to deal with. Then you know James lays out the prescription as we've quoted earlier of sitting down with a, a spiritually mature person. Uh, Paul lays it out right also in Galatians um, that um, if if somebody seems to have fallen or is struggling, then you who are spirit you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of meekness. Uh, there's a there's a godly spirit. And um, so I, I think that, that uh, it's important to take action with humility. And just a step of humility, it, it loosens the grip of the enemy. And as you speak out um, your desire for freedom, the enemy leaves. Uh, our worship pastor here at the Father's House, Rusty, talks about when he had, um, he'd already been baptized in the Holy Spirit and the Lord was putting a lot of pressure on him about one thing that he needed to deal with. And he finally texted me, because I was the lead pastor, he texted me what the situation was, and as soon as he hit send, he was set free. I never even, you know, I called him, we talked, but he was set free as soon as he hit send, because he had finally released that, um, you know, secret, and brought light on it. And as soon as he brought light on it, the enemy had to flee, right? What fellowship has light with darkness? Uh, The darkness saw the light and comprehended it not, and, and the darkness flees from the light. So it's not complicated. Um, I I tell people I don't aim for demons. I aim for Christians. I aim for sin. And you would you would understand this that you know when you're in a church setting of any kind, small group or church or whatever. But when you're when you're leading people to repent specifically, and when folks are actually repenting, and when people are actually forgiving. And when we are actually releasing and renouncing, when we are doing these things specifically and we're taking away the ground from the enemy, we're taking it back and reclaiming it for Christ. Um, you, Yeah, people do get free. I mean, ye- yesterday we found a lady in here that the Lord had spoken. You know, there was definitely a, de- a demon in, in place. And yet her freedom came through her confession. You know, by the time we got it around to like rebuking any demons, that thing was long gone. And, she, and there was freedom in the room already just by her um, forgiveness and her confession. And so that's how we aim so that by the time you get to the demons, um, they have nothing, they have no ground left to stand on because all, it, because the person has been made right with God and the demon no longer has squatter's rights to be there. Yeah. I think my second closing point is if you listen to this and immediately people come to mind who you think have these spirits, um, it's not helpful to go to them and tell them you think they have the spirit. Uh, <laughs> a lady, 
a lady. This unfortunately has to be said. A lady oh, came, let me, to, uh, came just to Jesus this text real quickly. Then I gotta hang right, on. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just got a text from Josh. He called me Ahab. Uh, the the lady came to Jesus for healing, and once once she asked for healing, she put herself under his authority, and then he released her from the spirit of infirmity. Um, yeah. You know, we don't go out seeking people who we can deliver, um, uh-huh, but instead. Right. It's a response, right? If you're sick, you go to the elders of the church. So, you know, as an elder, I'm not looking around being like, you know, who can I go jump on with a deliverance prayer? Um, but instead, when someone humbles themselves, then we can listen together to the Lord and see what he has to say about their need. And, um, and it's beautiful. God does beautiful, freeing work every time. Yeah, very awesome. Um Ken, I always appreciate having these conversations with you, and I and I do hope that uh, listeners who have gone through this video um, would maybe recognize that we have just a, an earnest desire for sinlessness and purity. We have an earnest desire for forgiveness, which leads to freedom. Forgiveness is true freedom in Jesus Christ, and that's our heart's desire. Um, we don't seek after manifestations. I mean, in our ministry, most of the time when we deliver, we actually command no manifestations, just releasing the person without manifestation or, or disturbance. We're not looking for some of the wild stuff. Um, although I will point out that Jesus in his ministry, sometimes he would take people into private, but, uh, in fact, when he cast demons out of the boy, when he was coming down off of the Mount of Transfiguration and he cast demons out of a boy, it notes in the scriptures that he saw the crowd when he saw the crowd, he delivered the boy. And so there is a space for public deliverance. Jesus makes clear that. There's a space for things like when he asked Legion's name. I, to me, I find it, if, Jesus is, if Jesus models it at some point in his ministry, it's like the stamp of approval. Okay, So if you, if you find a deliverer who has a method and you're scratching your head going, is that a legit method? Just ask yourself if it was one of Jesus' methods. He had a bunch. And... Um, and we're pursuing after that. We want Jesus in the life of the believers. We want freedom in the life of the believers. And uh, it's kind of a little bit of a messy journey. And uh, we appreciate you having patience with Ken and I as we don't necessarily have everything correct. But here we are having fun uh, and seeing freedom in our ministries. And we want it for you also. Hallelujah. Hey, if, you, uh, if you've been listening this far and you haven't subscribed yet, I encourage you to subscribe and uh, give us a like, give us a share. If you're uh, seeing this on Facebook and then um, if you got questions about Spirit Forward Conference, we want to hear from you. We are pumped about it. So it was something that's on our heart right now. So, um, yeah, jump on over. We'd love to help you get to Douglasville and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. And so uh, we'll see what the Lord wants to do uh, in, uh, in less than two months here in Douglasville. Amen. Thank you, my friends. The Lord bless you and keep you. We love you, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. For more resources, please visit spiritforward.faith. And until next time, may God bless you in Jesus' mighty name.